Hello and welcome back to Series 3 of Launch, Alan and Ivory's careers podcast. My name is Bianca Vasilake, and today we'll be talking about working at Allen & Overy before, during, and after COVID-19. Joining me to share their insights are James Partridge, Allen & Overy's graduate recruitment partner and training principal, Greg Talbot, a senior associate in the Financial Regulation Group, or B6, which is part of the broader banking department, and Antonia Moreno, a newly qualified associate in the Funds and Asset Management Group, or B8, which is also part of the broader banking department. So thank you all for coming and for being on this episode. It's been great to see you all in person. It's great to be here. Thanks, thanks for having Bianca. us. Yeah, thanks, Bianca. Lovely to be here. Brilliant. So to start from the very beginning in terms of working practices at ANO, in your experience, what was the typical work setup at ANO before the pandemic? Greg, maybe you want to take this one first. Yeah, so I think my experience was that a lot of people at ANO simply came to the office every day to do their job. And actually, very few people work from home. And when they did work from home, they'd often do it for a reason, such as the washing machine was arriving, dishwasher needed to be fixed. But on the whole, most people came to the office every day. And so that's been my experience before the pandemic for almost every day of my working career. Okay. How about you, Antonia? I think you did your first seat right in the office. So yeah, I think our cohort was probably one of the unique ones over the last 18 months where we actually got to experience the office for six months. So similarly to Greg, we had six months of day in, five days a week in the office. And actually at the end of my first seat, we introduced a flexible working policy for trainees. But I think that was also with the view that you would use that if, you know, your washing machine broke down or something. But I think as a trainee being in the office, you needed to be there, especially in the first six weeks and the last six weeks of the department, because it's when you're settling in and it's also when you're wrapping up and handing over to the next trainee that's coming in. But I did actually work from home over Christmas because I started in September 2019 and then Obviously, my seat finished at the end of February 2020. And that was really great. The department recognized that it was going to be quite quiet. Most people were going to be working from home if they were working in the in-between period. And unless something seriously had gone wrong, then obviously come into the office. So I did get to experience a bit of that working from home. And it worked really well. And I was like, it's great to have that flexibility. Just on that, I would say that it was also a departmental basis. So when I moved into the department, so my second seat, I think I had three days in the office and one of them being a Friday. And... They already were working flexibly. Most of that team worked from home on a Friday. So I think it just very much depended on what team. But you tended to find more transactional teams or paper heavy teams would be in the office more and maybe work less flexibly just from a trainee perspective and moving from the different departments. Yeah, I actually remember during my training contract as well, before the flexible working was even introduced, when I was in arbitration, quite a few people were working flexibly, even as a trainee, when I had some drafting to do and I preferred to do it from home, as long as I just let the team know and there were meetings on the day, everyone would kind of just be fine with it. So with that in mind, the world turned upside down in March 2020 when the pandemic started or when we were at the height of the pandemic. So how did the working practices change then in your experience? So I suppose from my experience, it was a fundamental shift. Having explained that previously I'd hardly ever worked from home, I suddenly found myself having to work from home and being completely ill-equipped to do that. So my first 
I suppose, week or two was spent trying to work out how to use a laptop without all of the equipment needed really to work <laughs> effectively, uh, without a chair, without a proper office desk. And I had to try and order all of these things to be able to work effectively. Yeah. Wasn't there a shortage? I assume everyone was there ordering was at the same time. There was a terrible shortage. So for a very long time, I used my barbecue outside table in a kitchen. <laughs> chair and I had to hope for the best so it was quite tricky I think for me initially to be able to work effectively in those surroundings. How about you Antonia? So I started working from home a little bit earlier than I suppose we as a firm started working from home I think it was like 19th of March everyone started working I, I started working from home about the 8th of March or something like that. Head of the curve. A little bit ahead of the curve and luckily because I'd done the GDL I'd had extra working equipment at home so I found the transition quite easy. But I think what was really interesting was actually the technology and how the technology sort of evolved over the last 18 months because I remember going home and we were always doing conference calls and we weren't really using WebEx and like Teams and showing each other's faces and everyone was sort of worried about what was going on in the background and over the six months and then over the last 18 months nearly that's evolved and everyone's just very comfortable having the camera on there's no more conference calls unless it's like an emergency and you know the internet's down so I actually found the transition quite easily and I found that people were very receptive and everyone was in the same boat so there was that sort of community in a way that you know we're all in this together it will be fine and I think everyone viewed it as a short-term thing as well oh you know it's going to be six weeks working from home we'll be back in the office by June so yeah it was strange and it was also strange because I just started a new department so I was obviously meeting some people for the first time over the phone but you all adapt and I think as I said everyone's in it together so you got through it. James, did you find any did you find it any different compared to Greg and Antonia? Did you have the setup at home already? I know you work part-time. Yeah, I mean I suppose I was lucky that I did have a dedicated space, but like Greg, I really only had the laptop. So it was, yeah, I need to buy a shredder. I'm very lucky in the oh, office. Oh, you have a shredder. I do have a this shredder. Very there. Impressive. Yeah, no, in fact, I've got two. And also, I mean, in the office, I was lucky I have like a standing desk. And so I spent a lot of time over the first few weeks working out which books were the best books in the house to balance my laptop on. You know, I have a window that looks out to the street so people would see me sort of behind a huge stack of books. But no, I think like all of you, it was adapting quickly in the fact that the whole firm had gone literally around the world, had turned into a virtual law firm overnight. I mean, it was just extraordinary in the fact that all your clients were doing it at the same time. I mean, I suppose the only other working practice I think I noticed and I, well, I heard certainly about a lot from former colleagues in litigation was the fact that this normal working week had changed as well in the sense that all of a well in the sense that all of a sudden because everyone was in lockdown and knew you weren't actually you couldn't do anything else in many countries you couldn't physically leave your house I think it became quite normal to say well let's have a conference call on Saturday let's have a conference call on Sunday and I know that happened a bit before but it seemed to be happening that kind of blurring the lines between work and private life just I think happened I agree with that I think also you saw a lot of calls being scheduled either very early in the morning or very late at night because there was an assumption among clients well people are just working now and can make that call so the time that you might have spent commuting was lost and I think that's been one of the disadvantages of this period. 
And I think we'll pick up on that when we talk a little bit how these practices have changed during the pandemic and especially how maybe people have started respecting maybe the boundaries between personal and professional once more, once they realized that this was a more long-term situation. But for now, I was curious, what did this change mean for the trainee-supervisor relationship? And I think you, Greg and Antonia, your insights would be incredibly helpful just to see how you adapted to that. Do you want to kick off, Greg? Sure. So I think, as James mentioned, everyone had to try to adapt. And I think it was a case of learning and having a trial and error here because there was no playbook that said the firm's about to shut down. This is what you do with your trainee. Previously, (laughs) it was all very clear about how you should communicate with your trainee. You understood how to try to build a rapport. You understood that it was a good idea to have lunch with your trainee at the beginning of a seat. There were lots of things that you were prevented from doing. So in terms of how to communicate with your trainee, that was the first thing you had to think about. And I think everyone came up with a slightly different answer to the best way to do that and how to effectively supervise your trainee remotely. Personally, I found what was quite helpful was on a Monday, and I still do this, I'll have a WebEx or a video call with my trainee to outline what's going to happen in the week ahead and to give feedback as well in an informal way. I then have daily calls with them at some point in the morning. I prefer to have a little bit of flexibility on when that is just to check in on them as well as obviously giving instructions in an ad hoc way depending on what it is that I'd like them to do. There was, I think, some feedback from trainees about when are we able to switch off. And that's much easier to get those signs when you're in the office working. The supervisor with just leaves. And the supervisor and leaves, obviously, <laughs> and you wrap up for the day. Um, <laughs> but you can't pick up on all those subtle signs and it's much harder to ask. So what I did with my trainees, I said, look, you know, if you haven't heard from me with something new by eight o'clock, then you can assume there's not going to be anything else. So if there was something new that came in, my mouth I will deal with that after eight o'clock if it's new. Obviously, if my trainee was still doing something, that didn't mean I expected them to finish at eight, but um, they understood that they wouldn't be disturbed with something new after that. I think that's very helpful. How did you find it, Antonia? So I think at the time, it was a bit of a weird, strange time to obviously move home. And you worried because obviously you hadn't built that rapport as such yet. But actually, my trainer was fantastic. He said to me, as if you were about to turn around in your chair, pick up the phone. So it was great because it meant that if I had any questions, I knew that if he was available online, I could just ring him and say, hi, like, I'm not sure. I don't quite understand this. Can we work through this? And screen share was probably the godsend. So that was one of the ways we got around the learning aspect. I think that tip was actually passed on. We ran um, a good news broadcast amongst the trainees during the first wave of the pandemic. And we put like working from home tips, like how to sort of make the most out of your training contract in some ways. And one of those was the screen sharing. And I had daily calls with my trainer in the morning and in the evening often as well, just to wrap up the day. And then that would also be how workload was managed because obviously there was a fear that like James was saying before, you would have situations where calls could get put on a Saturday or something like that. But actually by having those workload calls and We also had like this departmental whip every week on a Monday. For our listeners, can you please say what whip stands for? Hopefully work in progress. Oh, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) So we just knew like where we were in terms of the department, each trainee, and then you'd sort of reallocate if you needed to. So I think that was really good. And then I actually think one thing that I know this is not quite the question you were asking, but. One thing about being in the office that you actually really miss out on as a trainee and working virtually is 
the trainee relationship. So you build with other people in your department. And I really started to notice that when I moved into my third seat and I was in a department that had 11 trainees. I was on a big transaction. It was very busy and it got late at night and all my family had gone to bed. I said to the other trainee, I said, are you at home like as well? And she said, yeah. I said, do you want to FaceTime and we just put ourselves on mute and then we can just actually work at the same time. And if you've got any questions, and I've got any questions, then it, we can just chat. And it worked perfectly. She was a first seater at the time and I was a third seater. And I learned, and we both helpful, learned yeah. off each other by doing that. And it meant that we could still go a jab a call or whatever it may be from whoever. And I think we've all just learned to do it. And but we've not lost out on that trainee relationship as well. That's very interesting. And I'm happy that you mentioned how you changed from your second to your third seat, because my next question is really, how did you find it initially? But then how did that change throughout the year and a half that followed? Because obviously it became the new normal. And once something becomes the new normal, we also change different practices. So I don't know, whoever wants to pick it first, maybe James. Yeah, I mean, just picking one of the things that have been said before, obviously, from a trainee perspective, what we were trying to do was gather at the start sort of information on what they needed. And so there was a lot of getting people tech and stuff at the beginning. And then we had quite a lot of WebExes, you know, sort of video calls with all the trainees to just me and the HR team to talk to them, hear what was happening and try and share kind of stories, if you like, about how to address things like, you know, how do you end the day and stuff like that. And we have a training mental health working group and they'd come up with a sort of a list of best practices that we shared. So you were picking up so things that Antonio was saying. So hopefully things like FaceTiming were getting shared across the, the sort of training network and also me dropping notes to all the supervisors saying you need to be doing X, Y and Z. But yeah, so I suppose you move from a firefighting situation at the beginning to then sort of embedding those good practices. And something else I mean, I was conscious of, I think, is because I think mentally everyone thought that come September we'd all be back in the office because it was after the summer holidays and obviously the virus won't be able to survive the summer, summer holidays. <laughs> it's um, the heat, uh, the, the heat ki- wave, exactly, you know. August will kill it off. <laughs> and so I was very alive to the worry, I suppose, that because there have been lots of quizzes on a Friday night for people to do and all those sort of social things that you would just get a bit of fatigue. So I was very keen with my HR team that we were sort of kicking in the nicest possible way the supervisors to say you know you can't sort of slack off on all the great things you've been doing because this looks like it's here again for another six months and you've got it you can keep doing all the things that sort of greg was talking about and having those daily check-ins etc got it how did you find it greg yeah i agree with all of that i think there were periods where people started to feel a bit fatigued by it it's quite difficult i think to be able to keep up the momentum when you're not seeing the excitement yeah exactly and i think you do get a lot of excitement conveyed when you're in a room with someone you can see what's energizing them and i think there were points where that was more difficult but as james says over time some of the things that initially seemed a bit new actually just became part of proper working practices and things that seemed a bit bizarre at first actually started to feel much more normal. I think the video call is probably the prime example of that, where initially there were a lot of trainees who I think just felt we can't show our faces. This is all a bit odd. And in fact, I think a lot of associates probably felt the same way as well. But people realised that actually, if you're not seeing people's faces day in, day out, week in, week out, it's actually very hard, I think, to build a rapport with someone. So it's the next best thing. It's not perfect, but it's the next best thing. So I think that's something that's probably here to stay now. But weirdly, just picking on that point, Greg, I do think the video calls are better than the old telephone call. 
Yeah, that, so, yeah I'd agree. Yeah. Well, when the technology is working, yeah. I have to say, because I don't know, it's, it's happened on a few calls and it's like, oh, we can't hear you. Sorry. Yeah. What? What was that? Oh, they dropped off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then you log in via your phone. But when it's working, yeah. It can be, yeah, it can be quite personal. Yeah. How about you, Antonia? I agree with everything that's been said. I think, James, you mentioned it earlier about the work-life balance and how it invades sometimes personal time. I think that ebbed and flowed during the last 18 months because unlike when you're in an office, you leave sort of work at the office unless something really urgent has happened and you've got your work phone and you'll deal with it. But when you're at home, it's very tempting to just open that lid of the laptop or leave it on and just go back and check after dinner, even though you think you've wrapped up for the day or, you know, it'll only take another five minutes and ends up taking another hour and all of a sudden it's creeped into your time. So I think I've learned a lot of self-discipline over the last, I suppose, 18 months and just making sure that, and it's made me more confident as coming in as a junior associate that I need to put boundaries in place because and assess when things are urgent and not urgent. Because if not, then you lose the work-life balance. And I think now we're going back to this flexible, well, I think like 60% in the office, 40% from home, that it means I need to find a way of doing that. So I think it was initially really good Everyone was really great at the beginning. Do your hour a day walk. As we went in and out of lockdowns, I think some of our working practices you lost because you just sort of lose focus on the wider picture sometimes and just get engrossed in what you're doing. But we developed and it's all part of the learning experience in my eyes. Yeah, I would quite agree with you on the self-discipline point because I actually qualified during the pandemic and it was very strange to come back to this department, which had changed quite a bit since I had been a trainee in it. And suddenly I didn't know a lot of people and I had to get work, but obviously I was at no one's forefront <laughs> of their mind and work allocation was quite tricky. And my work-life balance was also quite tricky because as soon as I heard like the ping of the email... Like 9 p.m. I just like jumped to my lap. I'll just quickly check it so that I show that I'm keen. And I think it did take me, as you said, just a bit of time to learn that, well, you know, if I just tell people that I've signed off for the evening, everyone will actually respect that and no one will be annoyed that I have done that. And I think it's a bit more difficult when you're more junior. Yeah, definitely. I think also the pandemic's just taught us the power of communication. Everyone's human no one's going to shout at you. You just need to communicate what you want. And then people are going to be as flexible as they can be because that's in human nature. Or that's what I found as part of the A&O culture. People aren't going to unintentionally not help you get what you need to get done. Now looking towards the future, as everything opens up again, James, what will working at A&O look like? The million dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who, knows? Who knows? I mean, well, I think we're working towards, aren't we, a model that people spend at least 60% of their time, so three days a week sort of in the office uh, uh, and two days a week working flexibly. Again, I imagine as that sort of beds in, that will sort of evolve. And so I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be completely rigid. I suspect there'll be aspects of that that sort of ebb and flow. But I think it will be a world in which it becomes more normal for teams to be split across locations. So I think WebEx will continue to be used a lot because some of us will be in the office, some of us will be working from home. But I think it will become much more than new normal. 
for everyone to be working in that way. You have to go and have dinner with their family. And, and people, <laughs> not, people not to think that's odd. You know? uh, <laughs> I mean, what I'm picturing is the council room from Star Wars, where like some are in person and some are just like holograms and everything. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie, but that looks pretty cool. Yeah, and I think, uh, and again, we're going to learn, aren't we? We'll go through a process, I think, of working again what works best. Because I think we've got to be very careful that it doesn't evolve into a sort of a environment where you feel disadvantaged by not being in the office. So what you don't want, I suppose, is a conference call where you've got three people in a room and another person on the end of the line. So I think, again, we're going to have to use the tech sort of in an intelligent way to make it feel sort of really fully functioning. And equally a challenge, James, but not to feel disadvantaged because you are in the office. Yeah. I think that's really tricky because there are times where I think because you're in the office and you're seen as more visible, someone might ask you to do something. It might be a learning opportunity for you as a trainee. Yeah. Yep. So I think, Greg, you touched upon my next question, which is what will this future mean for the training contract? I don't know, James, if you want to give it the first try. Yeah, well, so I suppose I mentioned the sort of, you know, 60-40. Yeah. Uh, and what we said to the trainers is we want you to actually overlap completely with your trainees on that. Yeah. You know, we debated that quite a bit, but we didn't want a world, I suppose, where, you know, your trainers in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and the trainees in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> because, you know, there is, you know, I think one of the, the things that you can't really replicate in a virtual environment is that kind of learning by osmosis. I love the thing earlier around when you're turning around in your chair, then pick up the phone to me. You know, I think we've tried lots of, of things to make that work as best as possible, but you really do want that overlap. I think we're going to make sure for our trainees and I guess sort of for everyone that all the kit we were sending out to make sure they can work effectively at home, they also have in the office. So everyone has their headsets and their webcams and their laptops wherever they need to be. And I think, you know, certainly for my part with the, in terms of training contract, as I mentioned, we've got the, we have a couple of trainee committees. A big part of my role is to kind of keep liaising with them, keep getting the sort of regular feedback, which I can then share with the business. Because the trainees are in a unique position, actually, because in their two years, they'll move around four different parts of the firm. And different departments do have quite a different feel, largely because of their different client base, perhaps, and the different working practices. And so to that extent, our trainees are very useful because I think they can feedback on what is really happening out there. And, you know, it's really interesting, I think, when I say to someone in capital markets, oh, do you know corporate, the corporate trainee partner does this? You know, he might have a, a call once a month with all the trainees. Great idea. So we kind of replicate that across the practices. Okay. How about you, Greg? What do you think you will do even with the 60 yeah, I think that point that James makes about learning by osmosis is absolutely right. And we've tried really hard to think of ways that we can, as close as possible, try to replicate that sort of environment you get in the office. So we've introduced things in my team, such as informal learning opportunities. There are already a lot of formal training because it's a technical seat, but we've introduced so these informal sessions where we try to get the trainees to join on slightly more informal practice points and someone will present as an example. But even when you try to arrange to have calls with clients at certain times and you try to include your trainees, what people miss out on is the unexpected phone call, the interactions that you have in the office that you do not predict. Yesterday, I spent seven hours doing something that I hadn't known was going to happen at the beginning of my day. And that's not completely unusual. It's not unusual enough for me to just write it off. Sometimes your day will not go in the way you expect. So I'm actually looking forward to having a trainee back in the office with me. <laughs> and I think it's going to feel, for me, 
a real positive to spend a few days a week with a trainee back in the office. I'd like to be able to maintain the advantages that everyone has spoken about in terms of the flexible working culture. And I think there are many, but I equally do think that there are good reasons to spend time all together in the office. Yeah, I think, uh, well, as I mentioned, since I qualified during the pandemic, so I spent over a year at home meeting everyone in the team remotely. And then I started coming back into the office when the office kind of opened and they were like, if you want to come in, you can come in, just inform your line manager and HR. So I started doing that. And then I'm not going to lie. I don't know, the connection that I built with the people who happened to be in the office at the same time, I didn't manage to build that over a whole year of WebExes and socials and things like that. I, I don't know. I think people have different views, but I, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of the team in the office. And we do have an amazing office with amazing facilities. It's right? pretty and, great, yeah. And a, <laughs> and, a, and a brilliant location. And I think one of the things I felt some of the trainees have had almost all of their training contract working remotely and you know I feel really sorry for them because one of the great parts of being a trainee actually is when you're working hard but you're also there as a team and you can as uh, you know as Antonio's saying I love the fact you're doing your FaceTime yeah, that, that's with, brilliant. A, with another trainee <laughs> but that that actually sort of being really in the thick of it with a group of trainees so you've got those 11 in your department and then you're all going to lavender in the evening or whatever for dinner yeah. or yeah. going out for a drink after work you can't replace that virtually so it's going to be great to have that back very exciting well, thank you all for your wonderful insights. It's definitely been very interesting for me to hear your different perspectives, and I'm sure for our listeners as well. And now to move on to an even more fun bit of the, <laughs> of the episode, which is the game. So this season, we are going to play Would You Rather. So my first question for all of you is very much related to the topic of this episode. So would you rather work more hours per day, but fewer days per week, or fewer hours per day, but more days. And we're going to have 30 seconds for this. I can't do the maths. <laughs> <laughs> the total hours per week are the same. It's just how are they spread out? Fewer days or more days? I think I'd do fewer. I'd rather work longer in one day and few hours that like and then have a day off say like a three-day weekend because then you agree. feel like you switch off absolutely i think you need to have more downtime and you only get that by having a break so i know people take different approaches but i think that's the way to go personally <laughs> yeah well someone who I, I confess now i, I do actually work part-time <laughs> <laughs> So, so that three-day weekend is something. Three-day weekend is amazing. <laughs> a four-day weekend is like yeah. it is pretty revolutionary. But equally, <laughs> yeah, if you can do three days work over five, that could also be quite nice. Okay, I think for me as well. Yeah, I think it's it's quite nice to wake up in the morning and know you don't have anything that day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So we have reached a consensus on yeah, this. Yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah. 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 While serving client needs, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. I find this one very interesting, actually. So I'm very curious what you will all say. But would you rather be the absolute best at something that no one takes seriously, or average at something well respected? It depends on how much it means to me. That's the thing. I don't... Hmm. Uh, James, I, are you a Tiddlywings champion? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to be. There's the answer. Yeah, I'd like to be the absolute best at something no one takes seriously, I think. How about you guys? I'm hesitant. Um, 
It's a difficult question. Yeah, I'm going to go for the best as well. The one that like everyone else doesn't care about, but I care about. And you know you're the best. Yeah. We're, we're you can just tell people. You know, we're always going to want to be the best at something. <laughs> oh. Who cares if no one else respects it? Yeah, I mean, you're going to tell thing. them about that thing until they respect it, I exactly. guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Well, thank you all for coming. This has been great fun and very informative as usual. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to tune in for our next episode, as well as check out our social media and graduate recruitment website.